It's like I told Wit after the first two years, you hired me for what's about to come. Because what's about to come is the hard part. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I don't know if I could follow that one up. Khalil Herbert is everything we dreamed of and more. Pete, nobody's looking <laughs> at your tweets. I love our guys. I love where we're going and what we're doing. We cannot stop fighting the good fight. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. I'm yelling into the void, <laughs> and that's what I like doing. Get you somebody not... that loves spruce tips as much as Pete does. Why did I pick Pitt to cover 14 points against NC State? I'm warm. Do we need to get better? You bet. And is that my responsibility? 100%. I want to know what you're drinking, Rob. It is roasty goodness, even though I was out. What's the percent on that? 11. Smells like you're drinking, like, a cleaning solution. We're going to put this old guy in a grave. The end has already been written. We just got to go through the hard part to get there. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthaud, and my co-host, Robbie Dowling, is not here tonight. That's right. First time for everything. Robbie had a last-minute conflict, and we thought about getting a guest host, and it was a little bit of short notice, so you're going to get me solo tonight, so just bear with me. Virginia Tech lost to Pitt 28-7, to and it, w- it was a tough day. I'm not going to do a cheers, because I think, I think for a cheers, you need at least two people, uh, but I'll give a shout-out to the defense, because they did play better than, uh, than I kind of expected them to play against Pitt, so... Let's do a shout-out to them, and I'm going to take a sip here. Let's hop right into these news and notes. And again, it it stinks not to have Robbie here, but I'm going to do my best to keep it light because uh, it's a tough week for all of Hokie Nation, and and we got another game at home coming up that's that's very winnable. So we're going to preview the Syracuse game later, and I say we, it's kind of just a collective we and what I'm used to saying. In the AP poll, We had Wake come in at number 16, NC State at number 18, and Pitt at number 23. And then Clemson still just outside at number 26. But Pitt finally cracked the rankings, and they deserve it. I actually think Pitt is probably a better team than Wake Forest. But NC State impressed me this past week, getting the big win at BC and kind of beating them down pretty good. So that was a huge win for the Wolfpack, and Wake versus NC State going forward in that Atlantic is going to get very interesting. Pitt, on the other hand, is in the driver's seat in the Coastal Division. And, you know, we could catch up and nothing is unprecedented in the Coastal. Crazy things happen all the time. But they've got kind of a commanding lead at 2-0 and and, and the you know the tiebreaker versus, versus us. So it's going to be tough for anyone else to win the Coastal. But Clemson, Wake, and NC State are definitely going to be uh going at it in the Atlantic and you know, NC State does happen to have the one up on Clemson so we'll see but Wake's got, Wake's got an out of conference test in Army this week I'm kind of interested to see how they do in that game Army could could easily win uh they played Wisconsin tough last week Cincinnati is the new number 2 team after Iowa loses surprisingly to Purdue and they didn't lose close all those those things Tom Fernelli's been talking about with turnover luck and you got to be better on offense. It all it all came to fruition against Purdue and uh and Iowa lost and now Cincinnati is sitting at number 2 right behind Georgia. Very curious how the first playoff rankings are going to look in a couple weeks. Will they put Cincinnati in at that number 2 spot or Will they leave them sitting at five <laughs> the whole time as all the other teams' strength of schedule starts to rise and their starts to weaken? Because they really only have 
SMU left, who is undefeated and will provide a stiff challenge, but they're not going to have a lot of chances to impress the committee where, you know, Oklahoma and some other teams will have those chances. But for now, Cincinnati's number two, and that's kind of cool. VT's at three and three. They're 52 in the SP plus, which is 11th in the conference. And the 52 ranking in that SP plus, it is the worst ranking for VT since 2018. And it is the second worst ranking since 1998. And our friend uh, Diablo fan account on Twitter notified me of that. But think about that. 1998 to 2021. And this is the second worst SP plus ranking ever. I, that is um, that that is really hard to believe. It shows you the sustained success we had, but it also shows you just how bad this season is going, and how how poorly, even on a predictive basis, this team is starting to look going forward. We are 68th on offense in the SP plus, and 32 on defense. So it's a top 40 unit on defense, but even even me, someone who's been a little bit pessimistic and, and knew this was going to be a tough go on offense, I didn't expect it to be this bad. Not as bad as what we just watched this past weekend. It, it was rough. Dean Ferguson and Devin Hunter are out for the season. I'm not trying to pile on the bad news, but we had a couple of injuries Ferguson um, was battling a few things and he ultimately had to shut it down because of the shoulder. And I just feel bad for Devin Hunter. Uh, he, he did his best to get back on the team. We thought he might be a starter for this team. And now he's out for the season. I don't know if he'll, he'll ever suit up again, but uh, but to a, a guy who was a top recruit, like he never stopped trying to be a part of this program. And I feel bad that it might be ending this way for him. Jermaine Waller got banged up too. He was in a walking boot for the second half. And Fuente said he'll be out there if he can this weekend. He doesn't expect this to be a long-term thing, but um, I don't know if he's going to be in for the Syracuse game. We'll just have to wait and see on Waller. We did get a recruiting commitment from Malachi Madison. He committed to us three-star defensive tackle from Chester VA, 6'3", 310 pounds. He's a defensive tackle, I would have to assume, at that weight. So maybe not the highest recruit in the world, but if you look at his offers, Pitt offer, NC State, Penn State, WVU, a couple other P5s, I mean, it's a decent offer list. So this seems like a solid pickup, and whenever you can pick up a guy with that kind of size who can move well at all, I think it's a great pickup for this defensive line. Um, And our first commitment in a while, so nice to have him in the fold. Let's move to Tech basketball real quick. The preseason media poll came out, and Virginia Tech was fifth. That's right, fifth. And we had five first-place votes. It was Duke, FSU, UNC, UVA, and us. So you want to talk about Blue Bloods or, you know, a team like UVA who has a rich history and recently won a national title, and then Virginia Tech. And that is so awesome. I can't believe we got five first place votes. I'm not not sure we've ever had that many in the ACC preseason poll. So it is amazing. I cannot wait for this season coming up real, real quick. And the final news note I had before we get to the game recap was that the Georgia Tech game was scheduled for noon on RSN, which is, I guess, a regional sports network. 
Um, I don't know if I'm sure a local affiliate will pick it up in DC for me up in Jersey and the people outside the state could be a hard game to find. I'm not quite sure if that's going to be an ESPN plus or, uh, you know, just on the watch ESPN app kind of thing, but, uh, we'll just (laughs) wait and see about that. Let's hop into this game recap. It was a decent start for the defense. And in fact, they made pit punt on five of their first six drives, which for that offense this year, that is extremely good performance by our defense. Unfortunately, it was still 21-0 at the half after a pair of touchdowns for Pitt in the second quarter. At halftime, Fuente said he, quote-unquote, raised hell. (laughs) But it didn't really help. We scored a touchdown in the third on the amazing snag by Tavion. But both teams kind of just, like, packed it in after that. You could kind of tell Pitt went conservative. We couldn't do anything. And that's how it ended, 28-7 Pitt. I think the story of the game was just our complete inability to do anything on offense. Fu took full responsibility for the loss. He said I, he was the only person to blame. You know, he looked around the locker room afterwards. He said, you know, I'm, I'm not upset with anybody but myself. And, and that's, you know, a good thing for him to do, to take responsibility for that kind of loss. It was ugly, though. I mean, I, I'm not sure why we looked so lifeless on offense. I know... I know Burmeister is not 100%. We all know that. We've seen the hits he's taken. We thought that he might even be out for this game, and he played. But for just seven points and 224 yards on Saturday in a home game, I mean, that is the lowest yardage total of the Fuente era. 3.73 yards per play was one of our you know, top 10 worst yards per play performances of the past decade, and it was the lowest point total since the Wake 0-0 game. And besides New Hampshire and UMass, the two teams that two of the worst teams that Pitts played, every other team they played scored at least 21 on, on them. So like it's an okay defense. Like the Pitt defense is solid, but even Georgia Tech scored 21 on them. You know, Western Michigan beat them by scoring 44. How could we only muster seven points? It obviously comes down to the quarterback and, you know, Braxton Burmeister, he set new career lows in passer rating and QBR. It was an 11.6 QBR that is measured out of a hundred and it is opponent adjusted. So it was, it was really bad. 11 of 32 on a hundred, uh, 11 of 32 for 134 yards, one touchdown and one pick. And it was windy out, but 11 of 32 is just about a 30 year passes. 19 yards rushing after the three sacks, three more hurries on the guy. And that interception actually set up Pitt's second TD, so it was a little costly. He didn't have a good day. And so, injured or not, that's the kind of production we're getting out of our quarterback at home against a defense that you know should be able to have some points scored on them. It was rough, man. The O-line didn't help him out. They didn't get a push up front. I even saw Holston get blown off his feet trying trying to pick up a block that was coming at uh coming down the middle at one point we got stuffed on the fourth and inches a specific player stats wise and there's not too much to speak of trey had the long 47 yard reception tavion had the touchdown like i talked about earlier and a nice catch and there were some young guys that contributed we had malachi thomas in the game late six carries for 33 yards Dwayne lofton had that nice 
29-yard catch early, but offensively, when you score seven points and have you know less than 250 yards, you're not going to have too many guys to remark about. Let's flip over to defense. It was much better than last week's performance against Notre Dame. Only gave up 203 yards passing. It was Pickett's worst passer rating and worst QBR of the season for him. So although it was bad for Burmeister, we were able to repay that favor on Pickett. Just 5.4 or 5.5 yards per attempt for him. That defense is that that's really impressive considering what he was putting up. Just 28 points compared to their average of 52 a game. Um our rush defense, on the other hand, struggled a little bit. Abinaconda went for 140, 6.7 yards per rush attempt. So we get 5.5 yards per pass attempt on Pickett, but 6.7 yards per attempt on the rushing. Go figure that out. Uh, Pickett had 38 yards rushing. This defense is playing decent. However, we are struggling in the yards per carry in the rush defense, and that is not good when we're about to face the number two rusher in the country. Nazir and Barno put up some stats, nine tackles and three hurries for Barno. It is really nice to see him getting back on track a little bit here. Nine tackles, that's a career high for him. And that is a lot for a defensive end. And even though he couldn't get home on a sack, the three hurries is also good to see. Seems like he could be a little bit healthier, maybe a little bit more comfortable in the defense. And so hopefully he has a really strong finish. Uh, if I if he wants to get up to those numbers I put out early in the year, these last six games, he's going to have to start putting up some stats for me. Special teams-wise, there wasn't really too much to speak of. We got a decent return. There were eight more punts for more. And that's about that. Let's do the takeaways. I mean, when it comes down to it, you had these multiple games at home. In fact, it's going to be four home games in a row when Syracuse gets to town. And... I talked about how we had the losing record at home, and we were embarrassed again. I mean, 28-7 to to Pitt. I, I know they're having a good season, but like that really shouldn't happen. It was the sixth loss by 20 points or more at home in the six years under Fu. So we're averaging one loss per year by 20 points at home. And that only happened once in Beamer's last 10 years. And it was that horrific Miami game that was 30-6, to and I actually attended on a Thursday night. Um, but it happened once for Beamer in 10 years, and we now have six in six years under Foo. It, it, we, I just I can't stand these home blowouts. The offense is just truly awful. It's There's been little to no development anywhere. The O-line has taken a huge step back from last year despite having veterans and being six games into the season, it doesn't seem like they're improving. The wide receiver group is so thin and just average altogether. The running backs, I mean, they're even more average than the wide receivers, maybe even below average, and we're missing our best tight end. I mean, this offense, from a yards per play standpoint, 4.73 yards per play on the season. That's the second worst since 1999. And that's with six games left. So in 2008, we went for 4.5 yards per play. And everyone remembers those old offenses, those old Steinspring offenses. They were horrible. And we had a young quarterback. And and I think in 08, we had two freshman wide receivers in Cole and Boykin. They ended up becoming really good. But they were very green that year. 4.5 yards per play. We're at 4.7. And we played Richmond already. 
We already played Middle Tennessee State. We got six conference games coming up. This could easily end up, if we continue like we're looking, like we looked this past week, could easily end up under 4.5. And that would be essentially the worst offense in a generation. We haven't, I mean, if it ends up even close, um, because of the way college football has developed and because of the way offenses put up points, compared to the rest of the country, this will pretty much go down as the worst offense in 25, 30 years. I mean, it is it is just that bad. On the season so far, 92nd in rush yards per game, 104th in yards per carry, 111th in points per game, 112 passer rating, 106 passing yards, 116th yards per play. I mean, just, just keep going. It's It's really bad. Red zone is 107. And unfortunately for Fuente, I listened to his post-game comments. I listened to the Hokie pod where Burnup kind of interviewed him after the game. I listened to Tech Talk Live. It it doesn't really sound like he's got a lot of answers. And it's a tough question to have asked you. You know, like, how do you get back up off the mat? How do you regroup and get these guys motivated? And, like, right after the game or even on Monday, like, I'm not sure what Fu is supposed to say. But he didn't sound confident in any of those answers, and he didn't sound like he had an answer, period. He doesn't have a QB to turn to like he did in 2019, where he could at least pull that card, where he's like, you know what, let's change it up. Let's start Hooker down in Miami, and let's see how it goes. Us against the world on the road. And it worked, and Hooker was great, and we won that Miami game, and we had a nice little run there. He can't pull that card because Blumrick is hurt, Kadem, he doesn't seem to trust. And Taj is a true freshman who he has said multiple times isn't ready to play. So how do you inspire this locker room? He's going down with the ship with Brad with the play calling. That that has been clear. He is stubborn and he's not going to let anyone else or himself apparently take over the play calling. And so you you can put that aside. What does he do? to try to get a rise out of this team before Syracuse. I'm not sure. He had the quote, we are trying to simplify it so that Burmeister can execute at a higher level. That's something me and Robbie talked about a couple weeks ago. What can you do for Burmeister to put him in the most comfortable position to make plays? Just muster some kind of offense. Pick five to ten plays that you know you can run well and run them. Well, hopefully... (laughs) that's what they're doing this week because it didn't work last week. And then he also said on Tech Talk Live that Sunday was the best Sunday practice we've ever had. Take that for what it's worth. A lot of people, uh, after I posted that on Twitter, a lot of people said to me, well, he also said we had the best passing offense we've had since he's been here, or he felt better about the pass game than he has since we've been here over the summer, and we've seen how that's gone. So take the Sunday practice comment with a grain of salt Uh, but Robbie and I did talk about the fact that he has been able to motivate after devastating losses now he didn't do that after the Notre Dame game last week we saw an even more piss poor performance against Pitt so what are we going to see next week against Syracuse I don't know and I think anyone that claims they do know is lying it could be it could be that bounce back game we're waiting for and we come out with a fire in our belly and we beat them by 10 points or it could go completely the other way 
and we succumbed to Syracuse in an embarrassing fashion at home again before going on the road for four of our last five. I don't know what we're going to get. I hope, I hope it's the former. Like I, I really hope we can finally, you know, pick up the pieces and show some life on offense. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm not optimistic about that. I'm going to go into a little bit more of what we should expect on the coaching front at the end, Fuente's future and all of that. But first, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. These are the places you got to go pre-Halloween, pre-Thanksgiving to pick up your beer and wine. They have the best selection in all of the DMV. Downtown Crown is right in Gaithersburg where 270 and 370 meet. And Dominion has a, a fantastic indoor and outdoor setup right on West Broad Street in Falls Church. A wall of cans when you walk in there. Tons of fridges full of local beers, uh, beers from around the country. Ask them, you know, tell the people there what you're looking for. They will help you find it. They'll ask you what you like and they'll steer you in the right direction. Incredible wine selection too if you need something for a party or anything else. Me, me and Robbie are not big wine drinkers, but uh, you always need wine for those special occasions. So make sure you hit both of those locations up this season for all your alcoholic needs. I'm also going to take this moment to do a quick beer break. I'm drinking the New Holland Ichabod Pumpkin Ale. It's not as much fun to take a beer break when I don't have Robbie here, but this pumpkin ale is kind of nice because it's only four and a half percent. It's extremely light. It's from Holland, Michigan. Never heard of New Holland Brewing, but the can is pretty cool. It's actually a maroon and orange can. I'll post a picture to my Twitter. That's kind of why I bought it. Light, easy drinking pumpkin beer. Got It's got good flavor. It's it's not like the Elysians or even I had a uh, dogfish pumpkin earlier tonight. It's, it's much lighter than both of those, but I think that's why I like it. Um, New Holland Ichabod Pumpkin Ale. If you see it out, I would recommend it. And I got this one in Jersey. So even though it's from Michigan, it's definitely around. Let's hop into Syracuse, 12.30 p.m. this Saturday. Cuse is 3-4. and four. They're coached by Dino Babers, a, a, a guy who came into the ACC the same year as Justin Fuente, uh, the first season being 2016. Syracuse just lost to Clemson in a very close game. They really should or could have won that game. And they've had a few losses in a row that were very close. They lost to FSU in a back-and-forth game. They lost to Wake in a game that they covered, and then they covered against Clemson as well. They're not the high-flying team that Dino Babers promised to Syracuse and like that up-tempo, high-octane, fast-moving offense that Eric Dungy was running. And that's similar to Fuente, too, in that, you know, he was an offensive guy. And now both of these offenses are below 100 in almost every statistical category. They have better run offenses than they do pass offenses, which is a little counterintuitive to what you would have thought out of these two guys. Fu being the quarterback whisperer and Dino being this, you know, up-tempo guy. But Syracuse is getting it done on the ground this year. And that is kind of unique. 13th nationally in rush yards per game. And they lead the ACC with uh, 230 rushing yards in those games. 20 rush TDs. And that running back, Sean Tucker, is a monster. He's got 948 yards in just seven games. Nine touchdowns for him. 
The quarterback, while not a good thrower, he's also good with his feet. 5.1 yards per carry and 418 yards from Garrett Schrader. Nine touchdowns. So the running back and the quarterback both have nine rushing touchdowns. Through the air, Schrader's only 54%. 818 yards passing, five TDs, three interceptions, and so nothing to speak of. His QB rating is essentially the exact same as Braxton Burmeister's, and if you go through the various metrics, they're right next to each other, him and Burmeister. So no, he is not a good passer. His QBR, 61.6, isn't terrible, but it's certainly not good. And other, But other than the Rutgers and Liberty games, he's been decent. He's a sophomore, so... He seems to be getting better, but he's never going to be passing for tons of yards per game. He's actually initially in a Mississippi State kid who played a lot as a freshman there, but hit the portal and came to Syracuse. And speaking of the portal, they got similar quarterback issues as we do because Tommy DeVito, who was starting there, just hopped into the portal. So say Garrett were to go down, they're going to be in the same position we are. They are super thin at QB right now. Um, and he runs, so he's going to be subject to taking some hits. At wide receiver, their running back is also their leading receiver. So that that goes to show you what their pass offense is like. 14 receptions and 224 yards for Tucker. Two more touchdowns there. Another freshman, Courtney Jackson, has 20 receptions for 207. And sophomore the sophomore Queeley has 11 for 166 and two touchdowns and then there's Alford another freshman seven for 148 and a touchdown their best receiver Taj Harris hopped in the portal a couple weeks ago so they've got portal problems they've got throwing problems this is a run first team that's what they do well and that's what we need to defend overall on offense this is not a great matchup for us it's not a, a fantastic offense, but that's not the problem. The problem is they love to run the ball, and our rush defense is 82nd in the country. So this is a big challenge for our defensive line and our linebackers, a linebacking unit that just lost Dean Ferguson uh, in depth-wise. Tackling is going to be paramount. At least they don't pass the ball well, so maybe we just load up the box and try to stop Tucker and go from there. Make, make Schrader beat us with his arm, but... Containing a running quarterback, whether you know that's what he does or not, is never, never easy. Let's flip over to the other side of the ball. This defense, when I was digging into the numbers, they actually kind of surprised me. They play this 3-3-5, and despite always having five defensive backs on the field, they're not great against the pass. They're giving up well, what uh, 90th in an opposing passer rating. However, if you just go by total defense, they're allowing the second fewest yards in the ACC. It is Clemson at 292 and then Syracuse at just over 300. I I couldn't believe that when I saw it. They're 40th in the SP Plus on defense and they are 19th in opposing rush yards per carry. So what they do well is defend the run. That is not great for us <laughs> because we don't really pass very well and Burmeister's good with his legs and some of our some of our running backs are solid um and so in a perfect world we would get off to a good start running the ball but that is what Syracuse happens to be good at they're 13th in tackles for loss per game they lead the ACC in TFL they're 10th in sacks per game 
they lead the ACC in sacks. The funny thing is, they don't have a lot of turnovers. So despite you know taking guys down in the backfield, coming in, getting lots of sacks, that's not really leading to turnovers. They only have a few interceptions. I, I, that That's just kind of a weird quirk, and maybe it means that they're due for a lot more turnovers. But even still, they're 79th in turnover margin, and hopefully that continues. But they're definitely going to put some hits on the quarterback. They They get in the backfield. Their defensive line has lots of veterans. They're very good up front. They're, they have multiple seniors. I think it's three seniors across the front and then at least one senior backup. Cody Roscoe is a monster. Ten and a half tackles for loss. He leads the ACC with seven and a half sacks, 33 total tackles from a defensive end. The nose tackle, McKinley Williams, Mount McKinley. Big boy, 6'4", 285, just one tackle for loss for him, but he's a force in the middle of that line, preventing the run. And then the senior defensive end, Josh Black, has five tackles for loss um, and is another quality player. You got Kinsley. He's the backup senior uh, defensive lineman. So that defensive front is veteran. They know what they're doing. They're going to give our O-line hell all afternoon. Linebacker, again, they got plenty of guys here with experience. McCall Jones. Seven and a half TFL, two sacks, leading tackler, over nine per game, leads the ACC in tackles. You notice I'm saying leads are second best in the ACC in a lot of different categories for this Syracuse team. It's kind of bizarre. They got a freshman in Marlowe Wax with five and a half tackles for loss, three sacks, a couple other linebackers, Canton Arku, Stefan Thompson, another stud freshman. A lot of these guys are COVID freshmen, but it's hard to tell. I Stephon Thompson definitely is, but he's a really good player too. Second on the team in tackles. The DBs are the worst group. Not terrible though. You got Simmons. He's third on the team in tackles. Garrett Williams with six pass breakups. He's a potential draft pick. Darian Chestnut, two interceptions, four pass breakups. And Jihad Carter, you might remember that name. He's their freshman safety. He was committed to play at Virginia Tech at one point. Uh, Decommitted, ended up at Syracuse, and now... He's, I mean, he plays a lot last year as a freshman, second on the team in tackles. So again, even though it's not a great group and they can be passed against, there's experience in the back as well. On special teams, they're 109th in the SP+. I don't know what's going wrong for Q's. I guess part of it was that missed field goal against Clemson, but not a good team on special teams. Overall, their DBs could probably be exposed but we said that last week against Pitt. Like, they could be if our quarterback were healthier and could throw better. But I'm not optimistic about the pass game getting on track. It's going to come down to, can we beat Syracuse in the trenches? Can we motivate our O-line to to push around this defense? I don't know if we can. I've already said this is a bad matchup for us. They run well. They defend the run well. We have to make their QB beat us with his arm. You got to do whatever you got to do to spy him. He's a mobile guy, athletic. He's big. You got to do whatever you can to not let him break contain too much and stifle this run offense. Because if you're able to really concentrate on the run, he's not going to be able to throw too much. So it's, you know, I know I've said, you know, running the run D and the, the run offense is really good. This is still a winnable game. We can win it. The line is hovering right around three, three, three and a half. We are the favorites. It's going to show how much, how much pride, how much want to, how much fight this team has left. 
that first quarter, that second quarter of this game, I want to see how we come out because it's really going to be indicative of what we're going to put forth the rest of this season. Can Fuente get them pumped up is the is the biggest key to this game because on paper, like neutral site, I would say Syracuse would win this game. However, we are at home and we are in a spot where we need to bounce back. So I think that's where the line is coming in with us as the favorite. Um, because even if you go to the SP plus, like we're only a few spots in front of Syracuse, it's very tight. I also wanted to <laughs> point out the attendance at the end of the last game. Uh, those pictures that we saw online, um, wasn't a great look. Now at the beginning of the game, the crowd was into it. They were there. It was very packed, but at the end of the game, and I don't blame anyone cause it wasn't a perfect day or anything like that. Um, it was empty. And I'm curious as to how the attendance is going to look for Syracuse. Do we hit that 50K mark? Do we drop under it? I mean, since the stadium has been expanded, we've never had a game other than that fluke Marshall game where we had under 50,000 paid attendance. So I don't think we will, but I'm hoping to see a nice crowd out for the game next week against Syracuse. We're going to need it. I know... It's tough to get pumped to go to the game after the last two games we just watched, but we're going to need our fans there because without without them, I, you know, we're not going to have any chance in this game. We need a crowd. Uh, we need every advantage possible to try and win this Syracuse game because if we don't win it, things are going to start looking real bleak for the rest of the season. And that might not have it might not have anything to do with Fuente's future at this point. Like his fate may very well already be sealed. I I don't know. If we won every single you know game and down the stretch and we go 9 and 3, well of course, no. He would he would be around. But how many people are counting on that right now? You know, we we're 3 and 3 after 6. What's it looking like down the stretch? Well, our remaining schedule, Syracuse, Georgia Tech away, BC away, Duke at home, Miami away, and UVA away. Duke, I think I feel comfortable saying that's a W at home. They looked terrible last weekend against UVA. 48 to nothing, I believe. I mean, poor Cut. He is he is washed. We we talked a little bit about it before, but Cutcliffe has he's it's run its course. It's not looking good, but that should be a W for us. The away game at Miami. Not the easiest place for us to win, but they're kind of packing it in. De'Aaron King's gone. Manny Diaz is on the hot seat. That's a winnable game. UVA's playing really well. That could be a loss. Away on the road to BC, they just they just got their brains beat in pretty good by NC State. But going to BC is never easy. We never play well there. I don't know Jerkovic's status. Is there potential there for him coming back? But that's going to be a tough game. At GT, not going to be easy. And then we got Syracuse. And I just detailed how that's not a great matchup for us. So I predicted 6-6 six and six before the season because of our depth problems. It seems like that it's coming to be. And if we lose to Syracuse, there's a very clear path to you know five or six wins. But beyond that, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. So it's disappointing. It really is. I didn't, you know, I guess I did expect it to be this bad. I didn't expect the offense to be this bad. I really, 
expected our games to be just a little bit more fun to watch. Because if you have a great defense, that it's cool and all, but if your offense can't score, it makes the games really hard to watch. It just does. And I'm hoping we can get on track a little bit in this game. Let's talk about the the elephant in the room. And that is Fuente, will he be here next year? The buyout, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, when we were talking about this at the end of last year, we thought he was gone. You know, we, we thought you lose to Liberty – you, you lose all these close games. You're five and six. It didn't go well in 2018 either. 2019 was okay, but we had a really weak strength of schedule. Like this, this guy's probably got to go. And I think Andy Bitter thought he was gone. I think everyone thought he was gone before Witt came out for that press conference. We all thought that was the end, but it wasn't the end. And he's back. And this team is, is worse than it was the last two years in my personal opinion. And you look now at what Hendon Hooker's doing at Tennessee, and it just (laughs) twists the knife every week. It really comes down to that too, right? Like the quarterback is our major issue. And I'm not saying it's the only issue, but it's a major issue. And if you had Hooker or you had QP, would it change our record? I would almost definitively say yes, especially if you had Hooker. Like I, I think we'd probably be five and one if we had Hooker. Probably still drop the pick game, maybe not, but we probably win five of our, out of our six games if we have Hooker on this team because it hasn't been a tough schedule, and we weren't able to keep him, and it's likely gonna cost Fu his job, which in a way is poetic because his development and retention of the quarterback is is has been his biggest downfall. He was supposed to be the quarterback guy. He can't develop them. He can't retain them. No one finishes their eligibility. Everyone only starts for one season. And it's insanely frustrating. And when you don't have consistent QB play, you're not good. You are just not good. And now not only do we not have consistent QB play, we have no depth at all. Because at least before, we could turn to another guy if things got rough. We can't even do that this year. This is what Andy Bitter had to say on the buyout. And and I actually hadn't looked at it this way, but he said, don't look at the buyout language in Fuente's contract. That only came into play last year because of the delayed start to the season that pushed the finale back into that December 15th range. The, tire, the timing of the coach hiring season requires change to be made right after the UVA game. So if we do decide to go away from, from Fuente, Babcock's not going to wait two and a half extra weeks to save that $2.5 million. If he's going to get rid of him, he's going to get rid of him soon because signing day is coming up and you got to get ahead of the other people who are going to be hired. So we can't really afford to wait to December 15th. And that's something I hadn't really thought about before. So if we're paying to buy him out, we're paying the full 10 million. And that's, that's what it is. I mean, it's, it drops to 7.5 on the 15th, but that's irrelevant. And this year, with a coaching search, when you've already got USC with a spot open, you've now got LSU with a spot open, Miami could be open, Nebraska could be open, and you also have to consider whenever those teams go and hire someone, they're going to leave other big openings available, which means even more of a carousel. It's going to be a competitive year to get a new coach, but it really doesn't matter because – 
barring an amazing second half of the season turnaround, we are going to be in the market for a new coach. I can't really see it playing out any other way after that pick game, but I have been surprised in the past. So I'll leave it there. I'm not going to go over the candidates today without Robbie. We've heard the fickle and we've heard all those other names, you know, Billy Napier, but serious candidates that would be good for Virginia Tech is something we will tackle when it becomes more clear that's going to be the case. I think it's pretty clear now, but if the losses come, and I do think they will continue to pile up as long as Fuente's here, uh, he's going to be out of a job. And it's because of him failing at the most important position on the field, which is quarterback. Before I leave you, I just want to mention some of the games we got going on this weekend. Me and Robbie usually pick the spreads, and I'm not going to pick them without them, but I did want to talk. You know, we got Wake and Army. I think that could be a little bit interesting, and I really hope that Wake doesn't take its first out-of-conference loss to Army. That would just be a really bad look for the highest-ranked team in our conference to go down to one of the armed services, but uh, but it could happen. The Army's a tough team. We also have Clemson at Pittsburgh. That is an important game in the ACC. Both those teams are trying to avoid a loss before, you know, on their route to hopefully winning their divisions. Um, I like Pitt in that game. We'll just have to see. Pitt is three and a half point underdogs. Hmm, that's that's interesting. I might have thought they'd be favored, but yeah, Clemson at Pitt. That's just funny when you think about Clemson having to go to Heinz Field too. I kind of love that. Next game I had was Georgia Tech at UVA, coastal matchup. UVA's been playing really well. I think they're going to win that game. UVA will. Georgia Tech can put up some yards. Uh, and But UVA's defense has quietly been getting better and better. I, I've been really impressed. And no, I had it wrong on Pitt. Pitt is three and a half point favorites against Clemson. That makes more sense. UVA six and a half against Georgia Tech, I like. I would take the points with the UVA game, but we'll see there. NC State at Miami, man, <laughs> that's Miami <laughs> going up against a five and one team. They're already sitting at two and four. NC State should win that game. We'll see about that. Oregon at UCLA is the game day game going outside the ACC. Not the best game day game, but I guess they got to mix in the Pac-12 here and there. UCLA two point favorites in that one. That's kind of interesting. And then USC at Notre Dame, the old rivalry. Notre Dame, seven-point favorites at home. That makes sense. Surprise is not a little bit higher, but we know that I don't think Notre Dame's that good, and um, their offense is really bad. So it would not surprise me if USC goes into South Bend and wins that game. But that's going to do it for the games. This is actually not a very good weekend of games. There's some kind of fun games And anything can be fun if you see a big underdog starting to win. But in terms of marquee matchups, there's really not anything to speak of. That's why game day is going to Oregon at UCLA. I guess that makes a lot of sense now. But that's going to do it for the podcast. I really appreciate you guys listening, if you did listen, after you heard it was just going to be me. (laughs) Because I know it's, it's harder to listen to just what doesn't feel like a conversation. I'm doing my best to just get the the things out there. So much appreciated if you made it to the end. Make sure to hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DeepVT. It's 2DeepVT on Instagram. And then 2DeepVT at gmail.com is our website. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. We're on every platform. 
And again, Robbie will be back next week. This was just a one-time thing. He hasn't missed a recap or preview ever. So uh, (laughs) it's very unusual for either of us to miss these things. So uh, he'll be back and we'll have a good time next week. And until then, go Hokies. (laughs) 